podcast brought to you by Read More Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Thank You for Asking. I hope you're having an amazing week so far. This week, I am super excited to introduce our guest because she is someone who has had such a tremendous impact on my own career and trajectory as a content creator. I wanted to have this conversation today because I think that, especially in the last two years, but even in the last five or eight, we've seen this huge swell of the creator economy, of this influencer industry, and there's still a lot of mystery around it. People aren't clear how some people are making money, what does or does not qualify as operating ethically as an influencer, what role brands have in determining who gets paid what, what role these platforms have in determining who gets seen, who gets paid. There is a lot to be said about it. And our guest today is definitely an expert when it comes to the creator economy and just the business of influencing authentically, influencing with impact, as she herself would say. So today I'm super excited to introduce you all to Lisette. Lisette, in addition to being an incredibly talented creator herself, runs the community and program Influence to Impact, where she helps other creators, predominantly creators of color, really recognize their true talent, their potential, tap into their community and start to grow their businesses in meaningful ways. So I hope that if you are interested in being a creator, this conversation sheds some light on the realities of monetizing your platforms. Or if you are just a consumer and you enjoy consuming content on social, online, I hope that this helps to bring a little bit more transparency to the state of things. I even, in this conversation, disclose how much money I made when working through Instagram's new monetization process. So it's super interesting. If you have questions, definitely write the show in because I would love to have more of these conversations. I know that this industry is still as big and visible as it seems. It's confusing to a lot of people. And I want to continue to pull back the curtain and let you all in on the reality of this field. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Lisette. Okay, Elsie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you? I am so good and I'm so excited to chat with you. I miss chatting with you weekly, so (laughs) this makes up for it. I know, I know. I'll let you introduce yourself, of course, but for people who don't know, Lisette, she runs an amazing program called Influence with Impact, and I was honored to get the chance to take part of the program. Oh my gosh, was it last year technically? Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, But yeah, I definitely miss Zooming with you every week because that was just the best time of last year. Okay. But before we jump in, can you introduce yourself for people who aren't familiar with who you are and what you do? Yes. My name is Lisette. I am Latina, currently in New York, but will be in Denver possibly by the time you hear this. So... (laughs) Uh, for the time being, you can consider me by coastal because I'll have to come back so much. Oh my but gosh. I'm, yeah, <laughs> the founder of Influence with Impact, and it's a consultancy that advocates for creators and also works with brands to support with influencer marketing consulting. So, a fancy way of saying we help creators build a business and we help brands work with the right creators. And I've been in this space now for 10 years. I had my first PR agency job in 2012. Wow. 
And it's just been crazy to see the industry change. Even, yeah. You know, how we've gone from what were influencers in 2012 to what are influencers today? I know it's so funny when to even think about the amount of time because I, so for my 13th birthday, that's when I asked my parents to buy me my first domain name. Wow. And to think of like what has changed in the, how many years ago was I 13? I'm going to be 29 in a couple of weeks. Like it's, it's like you said, it's amazing to watch how this industry and has changed like things that did not exist now run our entire industry to an extent. So before we dig deeper into kind of like the state of creating in 2022, can we talk a little bit more about your background? Like how did you go from nine to five to owning your own business and helping other creators build their businesses? Totally. So I, being Latina is very important context because I was born and raised saying, you must go to school for this and you will do this for the rest of your life. And (laughs) I feel like so many other, you know, especially women of color, like relate to that. And (laughs) I studied public relations and I actually got into public relations because I totally bombed my application to go to Cornell for meteorology. So Wanted to be a weather woman, then decided, well, I didn't get into the school I wanted for that program. So should I just do like broadcasting? Should I just do, I don't know, PR, media? And that's kind (laughs) of how I got to where I was today. But I told myself I would just be in public relations my entire life. And then, you know, I was that person who would say, I am not entrepreneurial. I love, like, I want to be a VP. Yeah, but like, that's it. (laughs) And it got to a point where I realized I was being entrepreneurial in my own jobs. I was being entrepreneurial coming Uh up with programs that didn't exist. I built influencer marketing programs at some of the biggest agencies. And then I basically decided in 2019, 2019 was the year that I said, I'm going to go on my own. But I got this really great promotion and this really great job that I couldn't go on my own because I wanted to give myself a chance. And even while getting that quote, dream job, dream role, dream salary, I realized not that I was unhappy, but I wasn't 100% fulfilled. And Mm -hmm. that's when I thought, if that was the dream, what if I tried another dream? What if I really just let go of the corporate ladder and did something on my own? And I took a chance. I said, I will figure it out. I had been taking clients freelance, both in consulting and of course, working with brands. So I had that content creator income and I thought I can definitely cover my living expenses. I can definitely survive in New York City. So will I give myself the opportunity to thrive? And Mm -hmm. holidays put in my two week notice. Of course, then 2020 rolls around and a little panini. Oh my gosh. (laughs) A small panini, (laughs) you know, casual, uh, which definitely, definitely got me scared. But you know, that's another part of the story. I'm sure we'll dive into, but it really took, you know, the getting all the agency background or almost like that agency itch out of my system to then realize I am entrepreneurial. Let me give myself a chance in a different way. I relate to that so deeply because I was the same way. I was honestly very anti, like I'd always had like my job and my thing on the side, but I was like, no, I went to school to do this thing. And I'm the kind of person where my personality is. I get to a place and I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I do really well here? Like, how can I really just impress people, impress myself? Like, how do I do a good job? And for me, that meant staying in these jobs and going up and up and up. And then I, I honestly hit a point where I realized I don't want to go higher. Like I have no desire to drive 
dive the ship because I kind of wanted to build my own. So yeah, completely relate to just hitting that wall and being like, no, let's yeah, let's just see what's on the other side. And also, I started to create an identity with my work labels. You know, yeah. like, I am this of this, and I just needed a chance to be like, who is Lisette? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do and how can you tap your gifts? Like what even are all of your gifts? You, It's really hard to stay connected to who you are when you're constantly just trying to climb a ladder. Yeah, I agree. Because it's easy to climb the ladder without ever actually knowing what you're good at or what you like to do. It's just, you know how to game the system. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're on the other side yeah. and Influence with impact, I can legitimately say like your program working with you guys completely changed my life and business. Like, especially because I had just pretty much just gone full time freelance when we connected and I was like, this is a gift from above. But I've I've been doing content for years now, but doing it full time is definitely a different beast. And one thing that I think that I have realized a lot more in the last almost year is that the way that consumers view full-time creators versus a creator who is just like doing it on the side or occasionally is drastically different. So I think, do you want to just dive into this like wild world of the reality of content creating? (laughs) Let's dive, nosedive in. And I think one of the biggest problems with the industry is that what consumers see is the end result, but not everything that goes behind the scenes. And I'm not even just talking about, you know, how long it takes to create a photo or a video. I feel like that has been normalized. Like we understand that takes a while, but what takes a while is the moments leading up to even hearing from a brand, the moments building the relationship, building the community that is what brands want from you, building the consistency of making all those hours of content. So brands say, ah, I can see how I can work with them. I can see Mm -hmm. what their content is like. So I always like to say, and you know this, like they're not getting paid for the hours. They're getting paid for the years. But creators are really only showing that end result, of course, on social media. And it's not their responsibility to show us all the boring back stuff. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) You don't have to (laughs) validate the amount of effort, but I think consumers really just see the end result and think they're getting paid that much just for that. Do you think that's why there's still so much stigma around calling yourself an influencer or calling yourself a content creator? Yes, I have so many. I have, I feel like I need to do a dissertation on this, but I've had (laughs) so many people tell me I do not like calling myself an influencer because it carries that negative stigma that all I'm doing is influencing. And I'm like, all you're doing. Well, if let's say all you were doing was influencing for you to build trust with someone to influence them, that probably took a lot of years and a lot of work or a lot of Mm -hmm. expertise built for you to even have that level of influence. And then content creator, you know, you're afraid of saying it because you're like, well, I'm not just making, taking photos. You're not just taking photos, you know, but really owning the labels. And I'm not a big believer in having to always validate, you know, oh, but I took a lot of hard work to get here. No, like celebrate Mm -hmm. your wins, sit in all of the wins that you're having, but definitely don't be afraid to validate, you know, I own a media company. I have built a media empire, you know, that's really what you've been doing because you are your advertising department, your editorial department, your HR, HR, accounting, like, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of hats. Yeah. Many, many hats and don't be afraid to talk about them and and really celebrate that. 
Yeah. I think another reason why there's so much stigma around it is that despite it being at this point a decade old industry, if not more, there's still so much mystery around the industry. Like people don't get it. The influencers don't get it. Brands don't get it. Consumers don't get it. So I guess starting from the top and we'll work our way out. Can you just break down some of the ways that creators make money from their platforms? Like how are they turning their platforms into legitimate profit generating businesses? Love it. Well, 2022, I feel like there are more avenues than ever, which is super exciting. Traditionally, you would have thought that the only way was to get endorsements, right? So that's the hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored, where a brand pays you for you to endorse them on your social channels. And the way they get paid, it just really depends on the amount of backend work that goes into it. Some campaigns, and you know this, are straightforward where you just got to post a a cool photo that you made. Other campaigns take months of approvals and months of back and forth. So it really just depends, right? But then there's also... I think after the endorsements came the literal content creation. And that means creators are getting paid to produce content for brands that brands will post on their social channels. And why that's really important is because that's also kind of independent of the follower count. If you're a good creator and you can really pitch yourself well, you can definitely make a lot of income doing this because brands need it, especially with new platforms like TikTok. Brands don't know how to TikTok. So they would rather hire some creators to make a bunch of content that they can then repurpose. So that's a really fun way. Also today, a lot of platforms are paying creators, right? So, yeah, more than ever before. Yeah, I feel like back in the day, there was only <laughs> YouTube, right? YouTube yeah. AdSense, um, a great way for creators to make money. I know you have experiences with that. Yeah. And TikTok, I think, was the first, or really um, Snapchat Spotlight, kind of had a moment where they were paying yeah. creators. throw back to... Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I totally forgot that was a thing. Yeah, it was like a one-minute thing where basically they said, we're investing a million dollars, come take the pie. And then TikTok said, all right, we're going to invest a billion dollars, come take the pie. And then Instagram said, well, we're doing bonuses. So I'm really, this is the only time I like capitalism is when all the platforms (laughs) are battling who's going to pay us more, all the money owed, right? So for those who aren't familiar with that, essentially there are different milestones you can hit with viewership, with different number of videos that you're making and the platforms will literally pay you money. And again, independent of the follower account, if you just have really strong videos, you're going to make some great income. And then I think the last thing I would say is then outside of all these kind of content or platform ways, as creators, you've definitely built communities. So there are multiple ways for you to monetize through your community when you really start to think about what do people trust me on? So if there is someone who is really great at book recommendations and people trust you on that, could there be a membership where you are providing that service of giving people a space to read, learn more about books, etc.? If there's someone who's a really good travel creator, could they create some sort of concierge service where you can yeah. now you know, make itineraries for people? So there's so many neat ways for you to monetize by coming up with your own services. But it really starts with asking, what is the creator building trust on? Yeah, I think... Touching specifically on these platforms now, investing in creators, which has been really interesting to see happen over these past couple of years. I think that there's two sides to that, right? There are people who are like, well, why do you deserve to make money just for being on this platform? And then there are people who I think believe that creators are like making millions of dollars off of these 
paybacks, which some are. Like there are definitely some people who have been in this for a long time. They're getting crazy numbers and they're getting crazy payouts. But like I will transparently share what I earned in Reels bonuses last month because this is new. So for people who don't know, Instagram will give you a bonus feature for your reel. So for a certain amount of views, they will pay you for those views. So I had a maximum earning of $800 mm-hmm. and that would have been for 1.77 million views. I ended up getting 148.9 thousand views, which earned $151.58, which is roughly like Maybe a phone bill. <laughs> yeah, a phone bill. One week of groceries. Uh, groceries. With no experimental like, recipes. <laughs> right. If I get the core shelf staple. So <laughs> I, I think that, you know, people hear that creators are getting paid for just like doing the content they would have done. And they're like, that's not fair. And it's like, mm, it's not somebody thought it was like, maybe it's a little bit more fair than you thought. And then what people don't realize is the reason that these platforms are paying creators isn't because they just like us so much it's because we're keeping you on their platform so can you talk about like the benefit brands have like the benefit that instagram and tiktok and facebook have by having creators put content on their platforms yeah at the end of the day apps social media platforms they want to keep people on the app if they can keep people on the app, they could sell more ads because you are now spending more time. There's an opportunity for me to serve you an ad that someone paid for. But the thing is, creators are what keep people on the apps. I, If I was just a consumer of social media, I don't really care that my cousin had a baby. I already know my cousin had a baby. She texted me. <laughs> but I'm on the app binging these really cool videos. I love binging. I actually love binging food content. I love binging fashion content. And despite not talking about any of those things on my platform, I just love binging it as a consumer. And it really is, I think, again, enabling those creators to have a little bit more of a reason to stay. To your same point, it is not the amount of effort and the amount of hours and labor that it takes to put that video out there. This is almost like a tip jar. You know, this is a a small little thank you from, yeah. from Instagram and TikTok, but it's because we are helping them make the billions and billions of dollars that these companies make every year just off of the ads. And again, these are the ads that brands are paying directly to Instagram, Meta, TikTok to host. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the $150 that they will pay me for a month's worth of real content is not even what they're paying like in one of their offices to like give a department bagels for breakfast. Like (laughs) it's literally a drop in the bucket. But I think it's so interesting because these platforms are also getting so much more powerful. Like there are certain things that we specifically do, services we use that are all getting bought out by these companies. Like everyone kind of paints Amazon as the villain and Amazon is definitely the villain, but like Meta is right behind them. Like pretty soon every time you order groceries, you don't think we're going to have like a Meta checkout soon. Like we shop through Instagram, like they seep into all these areas of our lives and it's all fueled by people who are doing so much labor at little to no cost to these platforms. So I don't know. I kind of think it's so overdue that they had some kind of creator payback. But what do you think is going to be next? Definitely the idea of exclusive groups and memberships, right? So Instagram led the way with subscriptions. You definitely have to get it right with subscriptions because my biggest qualm with this is that the stuff you have access to as a subscriber. So if I subscribe to Amber's channel, I only get access to 
secret stories, secret lives, all this stuff disappears. So if oh. I'm going to pay like a Netflix subscription, I want yeah. my library of content, you know? Yeah. So that is my only qualm with that. But I think they're figuring it out. And the reason for that is because while yes, the platforms are now paying us just to be there, they want to put the power back in creators for saying, all right, well, now I want to monetize in a new way, which is putting a paywall behind the content that I would normally put out there. And you have more control now. So for example, someone like me who talks a lot about creator economy, influencer, I may give something you know useful out there for free, but the real deep information is going to be behind that paywall. So it gives yeah. me an opportunity now to make more income as a creator, doing the things I love, but being fair to the amount of labor that some content takes. Yeah. I think Patreon has been around for so long, but only I feel like Substack is the thing that made these platforms realize like, oh, we need to have some kind of native membership feature because it was so easy for so many people, especially because I, I know it really blew up around the pandemic starting yeah. to create a Substack. It was really just written content, which is much more easy to kind of take on than saying, oh yeah, I'm going to produce video and photo yeah. and all this and audio all together. Like Substack stack was kind of like a nice entryway into membership. So I totally agree that that's going to be the next big thing. But as a, a consumer who like you have creators that you really enjoy, but you're still kind of like, I don't know, this like money thing makes me feel uneasy. What do you think are the benefits of these platforms kind of reinvesting in creators for consumers? I think the big benefit is, again, creators now have more of a reason to stay. And consumers, I think the funny thing is, I don't know that many consumers really care that we're getting paid since the money isn't coming out of their pockets. Right. But there are a lot of creators who don't have access to these tools. So I do think it's missing that, you know, making it more accessible to all creators, making it more equitable to all creators, you know, algorithm bias. So who knows how that's even affecting payout. But if we can get that right, then it would be a lot better because I feel like consumers are just happy to keep getting free content. They are just yeah. being entertained, you know? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of algorithm bias and the inequities and in all of this too, when it comes to the money, the one thing that makes me a little bit frustrated is because I completely get that some people are just like, I don't know, it just feels weird that there's like money exchanging hands here. But the pay gap, the influencer pay gap is like, appalling. Yeah. How in your work have you kind of coached creators to handle that? Because I mean, you, and you kind of expect it in corporate America at this point, right? You're like, okay, I know that there's going to be like, I'm going to make this and there's going to be a white man across the office who does my same job. And he's going to make that. Like, I know that that's going to be a thing, but you would think that this new landscape was more of a level playing field, but it's actually just as bad, if not worse. I would think it's worse because they're in a traditional corporate setting. At least you can Google market ranges for certain things. If I'm an account executive at an advertising agency, I can Google New York City account executive at an advertising agency and give (laughs) myself a salary that I feel like, you know, I can negotiate around. And the problem with there not being an industry standard for influencer pricing, and, you know, I love talking about this. So, I wish there was a standard, but the problem is there's no standard in how campaigns look. One campaign can ask you 
to create something at home. Another campaign may have you come in studio and record something. And it's just so involved. So it really starts with us understanding how to advocate for ourselves and understanding all the elements that go into pricing, right? So like you were saying, what I teach my clients, it's less about finding an industry standard and more about understanding why we charge for certain things. Why Mm -hmm. do we charge for usage? I don't think it matters if you charge 20% or 30% or times three of X, Y, Z. I just need you to know why you're charging for it because you can advocate for yourself better. You can go out and say, it's going to be $2,000 for this because I feel this in this way. Um, Less about finding the right formula and more about understanding what goes into everything. And this is something that I think brands have the upper hand in. Brands know what goes into all the campaign. They Mm -hmm. know that if they were going to hire a production studio to do the same thing, it would have cost them $20,000. They also know that if they got an advertorial place in Bon Appetit, it's going to be minimum $50,000. So they're (laughs) paying creator, a food creator, $5,000 is pennies, you know? So they know. So now I really need to make sure creators know that other side so that they feel more confident advocating for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think in the pay gap, it is very difficult for there to be, because again, there is no industry standard So how can we make it equitable when there isn't even a standard or like a line to draw? So it really starts with empowering each other, holding down the line for each other. If I see a creator who is undervaluing themselves, I will tell them. I will tell them, I don't even know how much budget I have, but I can tell you that creators of your similar size and genre are charging this. So this is the number I'm going to write down for you. And I really (laughs) love doing that. I feel like it's a happy, pleasant surprise for some people. But you really have to learn how to advocate for yourselves in being the brand. So the times that I am negotiating with creators, the biggest thing I see, especially women of color, is underselling yourselves or saying like, it's this like, I'm happy to be here energy. Like totally. Like being so thankful to be here, being afraid for that big, scary number. And then you have the white male creator like asking for three times as much. And um, it makes me it makes me literally nauseous. <laughs> yeah. And of course, then on the flip side, it's like, who answered first? Now I'm like, wait, dang it, they said this, and now this person's asking for this. I feel so weird about it. I've literally gone back to some creators and said, you know, hey, can we add some Instagram stories so that I can bump up their rate ridiculously to match it up a little bit? But How many brands are doing this? I'm telling you, not that many. And not because they don't care, but because it's like a Tetris game of figuring out what everyone is asking for. So the best thing you can do is be in a position to ask for, well, you know this, your big scary number because your big scary number is probably not even as scary as you're thinking and it'll get you closer to what other people are asking for. This was a huge like, (laughs) push point that (laughs) Elsie had to have with me because I was like, I cannot put this number in an email. That is absurd. And the whole time you're like, no, you have to. And I did it and it was totally fine. But recently I had an experience where I was on a project. It was an internal project for a brand. And there were a bunch of creators on this Zoom call. And just based off of how everyone was talking and the energy, I could tell that there was another Black woman on the call who I was like, there's no way that you got paid what you should have got paid to be here. And I just like very transparently offline was like, hey, just so you know, like this is what I asked for and got. So I hope that what you asked for and got was similar. 
and that you feel good about it. And her mind was blown Mm -hmm. because there is that feeling of like, you don't know what everyone else is asking for. Mm -hmm. You can't, like you said, you can't just Google these ranges and get an idea of what you should be. So you're kind of shooting in the dark and you're also scared because a lot of brands put that intimidation up. Like Mm -hmm. we are this mega brand and you should be happy to be here, but you shouldn't because you're doing work. Like yeah. no one should just be happy to go to work. They you're should be happy to be talking to you. And also for context, by the time the brand reaches out to you, if that's how the conversation started, it's because they probably went through so many rounds of approvals of who they want to work with. So you are super valuable to them. They want to work with you. The worst thing that's going to happen is they don't have the budget. And then what you should be asking is, well, what can you do? Right? Because then yeah. you can then go back and say, you know what, I can't give you the world for this amount of money, but maybe I'll give you a little slice, you know, and you can then build that relationship onward. But to your same point, there's so many times that I've just heard people say, well, because this big name brand reached out and the big name brands usually aren't even reaching out directly. It's some sort of agency, some middleman in between. So understand Mm -hmm. that that middleman is probably not even advocating for you as if it was that big brand. Like that big brand knows that they gave them half a million dollars. That middleman is saying, I'm going to try to get you to give me as little amount as possible to get as many influencers for half a million dollars. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I think another piece that consumers miss largely is the brand controls a lot of what goes down in a brand deal. Obviously it's called a brand deal, not a creator deal. Right. So I think sometimes consumers will be like, well, why didn't you say this? Or why did you have to put it like this? Or who would hold a thing like that? And it's like, okay, I like, you know, I have my creative ability, but then they have the final say. Mm -hmm. And I know one realm where this gets really iffy in is in disclosures, namely why don't creators say how much money they were paid to endorse a product, a service, a brand, or are there brands who are asking creators not to disclose paid content as ads? So I'm wondering if you could speak to both of those things because I know that they are hot topics. Oh, another favorite. I feel like in another life, I was an accountant and a lawyer. So (laughs) when it comes to what you're describing disclosures, we look to the FTC guidelines, a government agency. So they're terrible about actually holding people (laughs) accountable, which is the big reason why people don't take it as seriously. But the guidelines say that you have to be super clear on when something is paid or non-monetary compensation. So if something is gifted to you, something was given to you at a discount, you know? So I always try to do my due diligence because at the end of the day, the liability falls on the creator. So if a brand were to say, hey, hide that hashtag ad or don't disclose, let's try to keep it as organic as possible, you really have to put your foot down and say, the liability falls on me. So I will be disclosing yeah, and really protect yourself in that sense. Otherwise, most brands, I think, because they want to mutually protect each other and not be the reason for a scandal, they do enforce that. Now, when it comes to pay and also just disclosing details of a campaign, most contracts, if not all, will have some sort of confidentiality, NDA, non-disclosure. And I think that one of the big reasons for doing that is, again, the amount of hands that are involved in these deals, they just don't want to cause any issues in and in between. So for example, if I'm a big brand and I hired an agency and I said, here's a half a million dollar PR budget, 
I don't want mm-hmm. the brand to be asking, well, why did you give this creator this amount of money and not this, like in, yeah. a, in a weird nitpicky way. So I think just to protect everyone campaign side that is happening. But again, it's kind of like this double-edged sword because then that's what keeps contributing to the lack of transparency. So the more that we can do from our own ownable space, right? How you went up to that creator and said, this is how much I got paid creator to creator. Let's do more of that because I know that brand side, they're trying to really avoid that, that conversation. I also think again, secrets of the trade, because if you're working on a brand campaign and you expose, you know, all the things, the brief that they gave you, some other competitor can go and take that. So that's the reason these things exist. I don't really think it's a sneaky, sneaky thing. It's just a liability thing. Totally. And it's like you said, the liability at the end of the day will fall on the creator because people also engage with creators more than they engage with brands. That's why brands are hiring creators. So it's like you feel like something sneaky is happening. And because of that, it's like, oh, creators are sneaky. They're hiding things. They're hiding ads. And granted, there are definitely some people who are not ethical and are hiding ads or not disclosing things. I'm not like discrediting that at all. But by and large, it's just like, capitalism, capitalizing, and you're not allowed to break all these contracts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy because I do always ask myself and tell my clients, like, if something feels like it needs to be shared, just share it. And I'm not talking about the, this is not an ad. I just love it so much. I'm (laughs) talking about if you are benefiting in some way, you know, I'm moving right now and the movers said, oh, we do follow you and we know you. And I said, I'm trying to pay out of pocket for this, but they were so kind to give me a discount. I just mentioned them today in talking about my move and I disclosed, by the way, I'm getting a media discount just so you know, I'm still paying money. But little things like that, it's really going to help a build trust with your community, but also just get yourself out of trouble because you never know how that can come back. Exactly. And one thing that I've always said and that I think is super interesting because I'm very much like an over discloser. Like if, if a brand like walks into the hotel room I'm at and I like said hi to them, I'm good. like, just so you know, I talked to them earlier. But I always tell people if you feel like there is a creator that you engage with that you are honestly investing in because your your time with them and you're engaging with their content is an investment in their business and in their brand. And you just feel like they're not doing ethical things or not doing right by you don't follow creators that you don't trust. Yeah. And I think that that is such a huge part of the issue. There are so many people who follow people that they do not like and do not trust. And because of that, it's painting an entire industry as shady. Yeah, it's the hate follows. There's so many creators who I feel like at this point, for one reason or another, have been deplatformed or we think they're going to be deplatformed. And I'm not talking about cancel culture. I'm talking about accountability that just has never been met. And... (laughs) they still have a million followers. So you yeah. ask yourself like, how? And it's just, we we keep falling to see what's going to happen. I know. There are some people who have been canceled and I'm like, that seems like a really profitable thing. Maybe I should also get canceled. Yeah. Like they have more followers canceled. now than before. <laughs> yeah, literally. Okay. Speaking of things that people get annoyed at creators for that are not actually creators' faults. Short form video has taken over the world, obviously. Yeah. Like it's everywhere. Every platform has their version of it. Right now, I'm yeah. sure Twitter will come up with like tweedles and it's like 10 seconds of your day in a tweet or, you know, they always find some kind of way to do something like that. But th- I feel like sp- short form video is kind of like split the world where people are like, I love it. Like I only think in TikToks, my entire life is a TikTok sound obsessed. And then some people are like, I hate reels so much. I hate making them. 
I hate watching them. Everything is moving. Everything has sound now. Like, I hate it. So how do you think we justify the short form video takeover? Like, because at the end of the day, these platforms wouldn't be doing it if it was like wasting their money. So someone likes it more than they're admitting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the issue is, We, the people who don't like it, it's almost like the cynicism versus like not liking it because you're still binging the content, right? So I think if you ask me, it comes from streaming culture, like, you know, cutting the cord and wanting to be on Netflix all day. Well, why watch a one hour episode when I can watch a 30 second version of the same thing that gives me those quick endorphins? I was actually yeah. just talking to someone yesterday. I used to be obsessed with the show Mythbusters on TLC and <laughs> I would wait, you know, I could watch a whole marathon of Mythbusters, but now I follow like these really fun myth conspiracy accounts, healthy conspiracies on TikTok who are super fun to watch. And I can't imagine watching a whole hour episode of Mythbusters. I'd rather watch a 30 second video of someone explaining it to me on TikTok. So it's just our brain, our attention span has really shortened over the years. Mm-hmm. And it is this like quick dopamine endorphin feeling that you're getting when you just keep scrolling and keep watching another video. I think what people also get annoyed by though, is when video short form video is a little bit inauthentic to the people they follow, right? Mm. So if you're trying to tell me something and you're like throwing words on screen and pointing at them and I literally can't read. So much pointing. They're going too fast. I Now I don't like you anymore. But when I keep scrolling and I see a video of like a cute puppy, I'm back. My endorphins yeah. are here. So it's really just about being authentic to how you create short form video and being creative with it, right? Because... There and one person I always like to call out is Chelsea as of late, good friend and really love. love working with her. She was just known for like her really colorful, out of this world like content, feed photos, and she was so resistant to reels because she's like, "How the heck am I going to do reels?" She was doing like how to edit, how to pose, and even if it went viral, she was like, "I just don't feel good doing it." Yeah. And then what she started doing was showcasing the beautiful photography work as a video. So the video really is almost like a quick slideshow of all her photos and people are consuming the same way they were before. But Mm -hmm. now she gets to not have to change that much about what she's doing. It feels authentic to her. She doesn't have to just make something that feels forced. And I think her community really notices and that's what's helped her platform take off. Yeah. I think that that's so... You really hit the nail on the head. It's creating these new forms of content in ways that actually feel like you. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why I was so hesitant at first because I was like, I'm not dancing. I'm not pointing. What else is there to do? And it took me a while to kind of like get into it. And it was honestly you being like, you're already doing this stuff on YouTube, literally take YouTube and figure out how to condense even more. And I was like, oh, okay, got it, got it. And those are the ones that do the best. If I do like a short form vlog instead of sitting to watch the 30 minute version you watch the 30 second version and it just does it for some people which I honestly understand yeah and I love how you even said like it does it for some people it's not to take away from the stuff you still enjoy doing you know it's not saying quit YouTube no one's watching 30 minute videos anymore someone is still watching 30 minute videos reels and short form video it's an opportunity for discoverability since this is what consumers are 
eager for, it's going to be shown more, but please honor whatever you like making. I mean, I will never drop my DSLR. Like I never, I like do not want to put it down and I never will. And I'm okay with it. But I do know that when I post those photos, eh, may not be discoverable, but I was super happy with them and whoever saw it saw it and let's keep going, you know? Yeah, exactly that. And it's like, that's also how I think you maintain just that trust with yeah. people. It's that I'm not going to change who I am every time a new thing pops up. I'm just going to match where we all are because that's yeah. obviously where we all are right now. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot for sure though. It's a lot. And there is still so much pointing. It's a lot. To, there is a lot of pointing. <laughs> I mean, even there are some videos that I'm like, this would be good for like a, you know, series like one, two, three, four, five. But I'm like, do I have to point? Can I just not? <laughs> Can I just like bop to the music? Um, and I do remember my first ever reel. It was like, point, 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 point. Cause you didn't know what else to do. I was like, yeah, oh, this is how you reel, right? This but, is how you reel. <laughs> yeah. But then like my first viral reel was me being like a goofball and dancing to like a SpongeBob song, which is me. Like I love not Charlie D'Amelio dancing. I just love making a fool out of myself. So for me, goofy dancing worked for someone else. They're going to feel super uncomfortable. So don't force it. One thing that I do think is a legitimate complaint from people, though, is that now, especially on Instagram, because so many creators are switching to doing more reels and more video, everything does have sound. Oh, like it goes with the sound. Yeah. Or even like people who are like, I go on Instagram at like two o'clock in the morning when my partner is asleep and I don't want to put headphones in. But now I can't just scroll through videos. Everything is like 10 seconds of a Doja Cat song and I cannot deal with that. Like, I think that's legit. But I also feel like it's just another thing we have to get used to because. Yeah. Yeah. Get used to put the headphones on. I feel like my partner is now just used to me like that sound, you know, when you open the app and it's like something just always pops up. Um, but also I think Instagram more than TikTok is still a little optimized for sound off, uh, at least yeah. the stuff that I'm seeing. If it's a daily vlog, people are really good about captions and things like that. Whereas TikTok, I feel like people are way more sound on. Totally. I mean, yeah, you really have like no option. On There's TikTok. no option. <laughs> No. The other thing that I think is a legit complaint, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a BuzzFeed article recently, I think like three weeks ago, that was talking about how low contrast content is in, like everyone's feeds are getting darker. And the article, I think it was called like, bitch, I can't see. Yeah. (laughs) Because everything is so dark now. Why is that a thing now? Why are we taking all the color out of everything? I wish I knew the answer, but sometimes I see that. I actually recently saw this on sponsored content. There was a girl who did super low exposure and literally I'm like, bitch, I can't see. Like, what are you promoting? You can't see. How does the brand approve this? <laughs> I'm like, this has to be the youth because the elder millennials over here, we're putting our glasses on and we're <laughs> like, our eyes are strained enough. I cannot tell strained. I think, but you remind me also of like, photo dumps and low production. And it's just so funny how we try to put a label behind trends, almost in a way to justify them for being what they're not. Okay. So what I mean is like photo dumps, people are like, it's about authentic content. No, a DSLR <laughs> photo and an iPhone photo can be just as authentic to each other. Absolutely. If it's authentic to you or uncurated content. I'm like, the way you put the strawberries on that plate was 100% curated, you know? So <laughs> let's just call it what it is. It's a different way of expressing. I love that people feel confident in 
not having to overly edit, not having to overly produce. Cause that was a big barrier for people. I don't know how to yeah. use a camera. I don't want to take selfies of myself. Like fine, give us whatever else you want, but don't force it into something. It's not, it's just a yeah. new way of you telling a story. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there is a line between I'm being authentic to who I am and I'm being fake mm. because some people are like, oh, you pose for that picture who randomly goes to a sunflower field in a matching dress and does an entire photo shoot. That's not authentic. And it's like, no, it can be very authentic to who that person is. Yeah. That's them expressing a part of their personality just because it is styled and curated and cute and looks polished and like made for Instagram doesn't mean that it's not real. Yeah. And I think that we've kind of gotten into the habit of calling everything fake. That's not just like someone posting a picture of them crying in the mirror on an iPhone. But even if you do that, that's wrong too, because why would you take a picture of yourself crying? You must not be okay. Like, so I just hate that label that we always try to brush on everything and try to judge everyone's intent based on an Instagram picture. Like you do not know these people. It's an Instagram picture. It's just an Instagram picture. (laughs) And sometimes it can just be an Instagram picture. Yeah. (sighs) This is so good. I wanted to talk a little bit about digital boundaries because right now I've also seen more creators leaving platforms than ever or going on extended breaks, taking time away from every platform and followers too, just being like, I have to disconnect People are comparing themselves more. Like you feel super judged just by the experience of watching someone else live their life online, especially as we're going back and forth from this, like everything is a highlight reel and curated and polished. And then it's like, everything is a disaster and the world is ending and the news is terrible. So as someone who has experience as both, you know, you follow people, Mm -hmm. but you also have a larger following. What kind of boundaries are you putting in place for yourself to just maintain your mental health? Oh yeah. Boundaries are so, so important. I feel like burnout and boundaries are besties. Like if you don't have strong boundaries, you're going to burn out. There's no in way around that. And the biggest problem for creators, one is definitely trying to, you know, beat the algorithm. You're constantly trying to not just like use new tools, but to beat the numbers and try to like spend too much time with that. And the problem with that is that the algorithm will always favor frequency. The algorithm is going mm. to say, the more you post, the more views you get. Duh. Yeah. Math. <laughs> so <laughs> of course we like fall into this hole. So for me, a boundary is knowing that numbers are a big driver to a lot of people's behavior. I really have to disconnect myself from the numbers as much as possible. Does that mm. mean you want to hide your likes? Does that mean I'm literally not looking at my insights unless the brand asked me to send it? You know, like what yeah. do you have to do for yourself to stop looking at that? I have some clients who will look at numbers and say, this used to be in the green and now it's in the red. And it's like, what if we didn't look at it for two weeks? What does that look like? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's a big, big boundary. Second thing is, you still want to consume social media. You don't just want to create, right? So that means you're probably spending a lot more time on social media than you thought because I'm there to post. I'm there to engage in my community, but then I'm also there to binge. And then I'm also there maybe for market research today. So you yeah. have to actually set time limits for the different types of activity. So I don't actually set time limits for social media in general. I set time limits for community engagement. I set time limits for like the type of energetic exchange I'm having with the platform. Mm, I am doing community engagement. 
that's high energy. I mean, responding to DMs, I'm really getting energy from people 24 seven. If I am scheduling time to do research, that's probably low energy because that's just me like getting inspiration and casually going through the platform, but also time limit. Because if I spent three hours casually on the platform, now I have burnt myself out. Yeah. You know, you have times that you're going on the platform just to publish and to really promote the content that you're making. Again, a time limit for that. So all that really helps me. And I think the more you can do to disconnect from the autopilot mode that we're usually on. So I love doing this thing where every month my notifications are off, but every month I actually move where Instagram is on my phone because you always have like that habit, right? Of like you click here, like you just know where it is. Yes. 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 You move it. It's this little extra three seconds where you're basically like, oh, wait, what? What am I doing? It's like, where uh, did I just hallucinate? <laughs> so, it makes you think about like, why am I going to this app again? It's like when you walk to the fridge and it's like, wait, why did I come in here again? Exactly. So I do that often. I do it actually with Instagram and TikTok to remind myself of how often I'm on the app. And also to ask myself, like, do I need to be on this app right now? Something that I heard someone say who was in the therapy background space was oftentimes, uh, social media starts giving us anxiety because for so long we've used it as the escape to anxiety. So mm-hmm. if I'm feeling burnt out, if I'm feeling a little bit, you know, my mental health is suffering a little bit, maybe not because yeah. of social media, but just in general, if my instant reaction is to click on social media, that is going to be a problem for me. So I need to make sure that I'm giving myself the boundaries and that little tiny trick helps me. And then anything else that can really just get you off of it. I think that is so smart because so much of, our social media habits are just literally habitual. Like we build them up over time. A big thing for me was you cannot scroll Instagram in bed in the morning. You yeah. can't do it. It just start. It's like a sinking energy pit at the very start of my day. And for me, the only way I could do that was to stop putting my phone next to my bed. So I yes. put my phone on my dresser and I have an alarm clock now. And so instead of my phone being my alarm, I literally have a clock only right next to me and it completely changed like my entire morning routine. That is amazing. That is something else I've been doing now. I mean, literally, and also you can charge your phone outside of your bedroom. That's what I do. You can, you can. (laughs) And to your point, like, again, it's another way to just disconnect from this like autopilot that we're on. So it's really just about like numbers, protecting yourself and finding like how you can cut the habit and make a new one. Yeah. What other like, habits have you, repl- other than like moving the icon on your phone, which I think is so smart, what other things have you done to just like hack your way into better social media consumption? Okay, definitely. Like I said, so I schedule energetic windows of time, as I call them. Which I love. Um, but how I consume, how I use social media, like physically, is also impacted by what zone I'm in. So I love using desktop social media. I, I feel like I talk about this a lot. Yeah. Yes. And Creator Studio on Facebook is free. It is easy. You can respond to comments there, DMs, everything. So I really like using that for my community engagement and for what I'm really trying to just like be active on social media so that then when I'm using it on my phone, I treat that as the for fun time, right? As the consumer time. And it again, like makes my brain almost in two different spaces where if I'm sitting on desktop, I feel like I'm in work mode and not in a negative way, but in, you know, you set boundaries with your work. You don't want to work for four hours. So that's definitely one thing. 
Aside from that, I think it's just really, really about scheduling blocks of time. And it sounds so cheesy, but I do this in the beginning. You can kind of do this for maybe like a few weeks. And then you kind of know, I know that my 10 a.m. ish time is my publishing time. And that also Mm -hmm. is my community engagement time. And it's not in any strategic way. The numbers you're getting on social media are always estimates. So don't even really stress yourself out. It's just that I know if my morning routine is done by 10, the next thing I want to do is get some work done. And then in the middle of the day, I'm going to have some fun because I'm bored. So it's really like scheduling that for yourself. I love the way you broke that down. I also think that using those desktop tools is so essential for anyone who works as like a social media manager or as like someone who manages platforms for a brand because it is such an easy job to burn out in. Social media doesn't turn off just because you're off the clock, quote unquote. So yeah, you have to have those physical boundaries sometimes to help you. And yeah, this stuff is all around us. So we have to take it however we can get it. I love that you flow with your energy throughout the day too. I think that that is essential because that's the other thing. It's like, if you are only watching these huge amounts of content early in the morning when you first wake up or when you're trying to fall asleep, it's like literally when you're trying to gain momentum, you're overstimulating yourself and burning out early. Then when you're trying to slow down your momentum, you're overstimulating yourself and keeping yourself wired. So you have to kind of tap that flow. It's crazy because I mean, I do a lot of acupuncture and they always go, how's your sleeping? And I always know <laughs> if I've been not just social media, but like watching TV late at night or like have my phone on my bed that night, I know my sleep has suffered. And I'll always say like, <laughs> it's not great, but it's because I haven't really been putting my phone away. So like really understanding that it's stimulating your brain and I'm not a medical professional, but I, I can feel it. <laughs> can feel it. And I have to keep my phone away from the bed. It's just like the only answer anymore. Mm -hmm. Are there any other like books or podcasts or resources you recommend for people who are just like very into all of this, like all about the creator economy, all about how these platforms are shaping our lives? You know, I don't like to read a lot of books about creator economy. And I'll only tell you why is because it's changing so much every day that Mm -hmm. by the time a book is published, the information is outdated. Yeah, There are some like books that used to be iconic and influencer space that now I'm like, I would never recommend that anymore. But at the time (laughs) it was correct, you know? And so I would really focus on signing up for different newsletters. I really love the newsletters in the advertising space, so Ad Age, Ad World, Business Insider has a really good columnist who's just talking about creator economy. They do a lot of posts about very transparently um, verifying how much people are earning, which is very helpful mm-hmm. because they can't publish anything without that verification of income. So it's really nice to see. And then also Shorty Awards. It's another one that talks a lot about like digital campaigns that are just happening in the social media world. So the more that you can subscribe to that, I think the better. But then complementary to the industry, because I think a lot of what we need to learn is how to harness creativity, how to feel empowered and how to advocate for yourself. A book that I'm loving. So Rachel Rogers is a business coach. She is one of my role models. And her book, We Should All Be Millionaires, is basically based off her principles of like how you really build a strong business. And I Mm -hmm. think that if you are looking to go full-time, this could be a good read because it's something that's going to 
really help you figure out like, how can I put my business hat on and not just feel like I'm a creator taking photos, you know, like how can I scale a business and things like that. And then the other one that I'm reading is professional troublemaker, which is in the Mm. same vein of really just kind of like learning how to advocate for yourself and how to, I think when it comes to like negotiation practices and knowing your worth and everything, this is one of those books that I really, really recommend by Lovey. And the last one about creativity is Big Magic. I was waiting for Big Magic. <laughs> I know. I always kind of cringe about it. Not No hate to be Big Magic. But no. I feel like it is like every creator is like, Big Magic, you need to read it. And the thing about Big Magic, I always forget the author's name, but the Eat, Pray, Love author. And <laughs> the thing about it is that it really helps put into perspective what creativity is Because I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us think to be creative, you need to be like an artist, a photographer, a writer. And Big Magic just shows you how creativity comes from everywhere. And it's something that a lot of creators, I think, could really benefit from. Totally. It's been a while since I've read it. But I remember when I first read it, I was still like maybe like right after I graduated college and I was kind of still trying to figure out like, okay, what am I doing with this internet stuff? And it definitely helped me. It was one of the things that helped me get over the fact that I've at some point I was going to have to post pictures of myself. Yeah. Because for a long time I just didn't. And I was like, why am I not growing on Instagram? It's like, cause no one knows who you are. (laughs) So that helped me come a long way. But yeah, I definitely agree that even if you are just a consumer and you're wondering like why this stuff is running your life so much, all of these books just give really good insight into even why it is so appealing for people who do have that creative bug in them to become a content creator Mm -hmm. and want to work in this industry. A hundred percent. I'm like, let me look at my bookshelf. (laughs) What are the books that I'm loving right now? I I mean, you're moving and your bookshelf still kind of looks like goals. I love the rainbow that you have going on. I know everyone else can't see, but I'm enjoying this a lot. We've got Roy G. Biv in the house and I actually <laughs> just did a book clean out, which was so sad because I don't know about you, but like, I hate giving away books, selling books. It's hard. Uh, I should probably go digital, but I just love holding a book. Oh, here's the sick part about me. I have a whole Kindle and sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I love that book so much. I need the physical copy too, just to have. Yeah. That's like literal illness. Like that's <laughs> sick that I do yeah, that. Maybe just Libby, like just get rent your books, you know, but I, I, I'm i the same. I just love holding a book. And if I really respect the author, I'm like, yes, I'm buying this. Yeah, you know, yeah. Let me help you get to the bestseller. It's, there are worse things you could be having multiple like copies of. It's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, this is an amazing conversation. I appreciate you sharing your insight and your expertise so much. Can you just let everyone know where they can find you on the internet? Yes. You can find me at Lisette Calf. That is all things Lisette's entrepreneurial journey. And I really am super open about just the influencer, just like the pricing conversation as well, not just for creators, but for consumers, because I think yeah. again, it's very important. And something that I realized recently is even talking about creators and conversations that we're having right now helps other people advocate for themselves in nine to fives and yes. traditional corporate roles. So definitely keep having the money conversation. And then we're also at Influence with Impact. That is more specific. If you're a creator, feel free to use resources there. Um, you can see all the ways of working with us there as well. Yes. And if you are a creator looking to just kind of invest in your brand and your business and take things to the next level, you have to work with Lisette. Like you have to. And I think there are a lot of people who are selling programs and plans and I will teach you how to go from zero to six figures every year. And like most of them are kind of nonsense. But Lisette, I always tell people like Lisette is the real deal. Like she gets it. Oh my gosh. 
worth the investment. Trust me. Thank you. That is the biggest compliment in the universe. I am so overprotective of like people giving away false information. So I really just try to make sure, you know, the creators have the A to Z and then take that as you will take it wherever you are in your journey, because it's not easy to become like an overnight content creator either. And I no. think that's what like a lot of these dreams are selling, like how you can make a hundred K tomorrow. It's not like that. I'm telling <laughs> no. you now <laughs> and not in a way where you should be scared to, but in a way where you should be graceful with yourself. Exactly. It takes time. I, I feel like I've already taken so much of your time, but I have to ask you this because it's so relevant to your story too. Go for it. Can you talk about why it is not always the best thing in the world to go viral? Because I think that that is something that a lot of people are getting sold on. And it's like, oh, you should go viral. You should go viral. You should go viral. But it's like, "Mm, should you go viral? Oh, going viral. I think going viral, the only good thing it does is that there's a higher chance that your ideal follower is going to find you. But the problem with going viral is that oftentimes virality means it's now reaching random people. A, you're mm-hmm. opening yourself up oftentimes to unsafe spaces like trolls. Coming 1,000%. In. 1,000%. Like really, really unsafe spaces. And then second, you can actually see evidence that your audience starts to change. So Instagram now has a feature where you can see your engaged followers. So it's showing you the people where they're located, the people who are viewing your content, engaging with your content. And it's insane how different it becomes when you go viral. For example, if you're trying to build a US-based audience, most of the virality is not coming from the US and all the love to all my other countries that are not US, but it can help your, it can make your platform a little bit more mixed. So Being viral, in my opinion, for the safety aspect and also just like strategically, I don't think is great. I think there's a time and place to grow, but focus more on nurturing the people that you're calling in. And that's how you're going to grow with intention. Yeah. I went viral last year. You you remember that video. Yeah. And then again, went viral with the same video on TikTok. I will say the TikTok girls, much nicer yeah. than the Instagram girls. The Instagram girls were vicious, but it is actually very scary to every time you open the Instagram app, be met with like 200 comments from strangers who are like insulting you <laughs> and sending you crazy DMs. I just wanted to say that because I know that with TikTok on the rise and it being so much easier on certain platforms to get a ton of views in a short span of time, everyone is like, I just need my viral moment. And I'm like, "Mm, yeah. And what's interesting is oftentimes I find that viral doesn't convert to followers and people are confused. You know, they're like, but I had a million views. Why don't I have a million followers? It's because again, it's exposing you to people who are just random, you know? And yeah. They don't always care about what you have to say. Again, higher chance that you might find the right people, surely. But if you're trying to seek virality with everything, you're going to go the wrong path. <laughs> like if you walk naked through Times Square, you might find someone like, oh my gosh, totally relate to them. I too am naked in Times Square. But you're also going to find like everyone else who is just interested in gawking at you being naked in Times Square. Like literally. <laughs> Don't try that at home. Do do not recommend zero out of 10. Like, don't do that. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Thank You for Asking. As always, you can let me know your thoughts on the episode, ask a question, or make a request for a future episode topic by emailing tyfapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the pod at tyfapodcast on Instagram and visit us online anytime at tyfapodcast.com. 
Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and share Thank You For Asking with a friend or 10 friends. Thank You For Asking is a production of Read More Media. I'm your host, Amber Burns, and you can find me online at by Amber Burns. Have an amazing rest of your week, and I will talk to you all next Thursday.